Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real. Guys, it's your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Solomon Pfeiffer. With me, still in the room. It's a week later since you've heard our last In the Room podcast, but uh, we went hard this weekend. It is my friend, my colleague, and uh, the person who I've shared a couch with for hours and hours during this trip. It's Noah Ballard. What's up, buddy? How 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 are we doing? Are we doing okay? How people are hearing these, uh, you know, seven to ten days apart. We're recording them mere hours, nine but twenty four hours apart. Right? How, how? What have we done? Well, so we ambitiously just knocked out all those get off my plane movies out, and then I super ambitiously was like, let's watch three more. Yeah. Of, and as we do every week, they're of a similar genre. Oh, definitely. And so we've pivoted from planes to uh, porn. Yes, indeed. Uh, thanks to Danielle uh, from IFC for, for reaching out about the new film King Cobra, uh, which is about two competing factions within the gay porn industry in 2005 with some, with some pretty uh, notable star power for, definitely. for an indie movie of this type. And then I emailed Noah and was like, why don't we get Boogie Nights and Zack and Mary make a porno in the mix? And uh, that was 24 hours of two dudes sitting on a couch watching movies about porn, telling anyone who asked what they were up to, we've been at home watching porn. Right. (laughs) It was a weird uh, few hours, this genre with you. I think you're one of the few people that I could endeavor to watch three of these movies essentially back to back to back with. Yeah, we didn't have much discomfort or anxiety, did we? I mean, like, I looked at you a couple times like, that's <laughs> gross and makes me feel weird. But we weren't worried about each other. We no. knew we could handle it. We knew it was all for the pod. It's You have to do it for the pod. I love the pod. So I think we are going to start the show with the new film, the 2016 uh, indie film, King Cobra, directed by Justin Kelly, starring the likes of uh, James Franco Christian Slater, Garrett Clayton, Alicia Silverstone, Molly Ringwald, Keegan Allen. Uh, it's it's a it's a cast. It's a real cast, yeah. And this movie is just coming out in theaters. It came out late October, so it's probably still around if you want to see it, or it'll probably be easy enough to find online. Yeah, for for the I think it comes to VOD pretty quick, and okay. for the Portland audience, I should say, I think it lands at Cinema Twenty One on November the eleventh. So nice. Yes. So yeah, um, this yeah it has a weird pedigree to it. This movie it has like all these sort of people who are famous from their roles in like the late eighties, early nineties. Right. You know, Alicia Silverstone from Clueless, Christian Slater from like Heather's and stuff like that. And then he's had this weird renaissance since Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. That you know, and I was I said to Chance as we were watching this, like, is Christian Slater actually a good actor, or does he just find himself in interesting things? And it's sort of an interesting question with this movie because 
on one hand, like it is about the making of gay porn, but on the other hand, it sort of is softcore gay porn. Yeah. There's like a lot of like gay sex scenes in this movie. Sure. But like the movie's a weird thing to like have a performance in because like it's like a it's 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 like a Cinemax kind of at moments kind of movie. And like so whether or not Christian Slater's performance achieves what it needs to, I think is pretty I don't know. I don't know where I land on this one. Yeah. I, it, it made me think that in some ways that Christian Slater is just sort of like the last generation's James Franco, where you're never sure if like he likes, you know, he does he have range or is he just good at bringing an energy to a certain kind of weirdness? But then you have the fact where James Franco, of course, supersedes Christian Slater is that James Franco has this sort of weird, intense creative vision that he brings to this movie as a star and a producer and so, so many other sort of movies like this movie kind of has a Franco ethos to it in the in the dialogue and the line. Oh, ratings. definitely. Yeah. Well, it definitely like took a big nod from um, like Harmony Corinne with Spring Breakers of like how you can use James Franco in like an insane sort of indie movie context. Yeah. But on the other side of that, I just feel like because Franco has spread himself so thin, like in these passion projects, that like that James Franco is in this movie was almost incidental to my enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't surprised to see him there. I was like pretty surprised to see like how far like Christian Slater went like sexually with a young boy like on screen. But like (laughs) with Franco... Like, you've seen him do all this crazy shit before. Yeah, it's true. Um, So let's talk about what happens in this movie. Uh, Garrett Clayton plays a uh, maybe just post-high school uh, young man who is lying to his mother, Alicia Silverstone, about this sort of, like, film school internship he has. Instead, he is living with uh, Christian Slater's character named Stephen, who is King Cobra who is sort of like the dawn of this um, uh, gay porn producing company. He's the, uh, with a particular like aesthetic quality to it where it's, it's typically just a young boy, like masturbating for the most part. Right. That's sort of like the entry. Yeah. How he kind of like tries to make his stars. Sure. And uh, Garrett Clayton plays a young man named Sean who comes quickly to be known as Brent Corrigan, uh, who becomes like the star of this sort of like, mini empire and you get the sense that very quickly in this relationship as the two of them uh as he sort of becomes weirdly codependent with christian slater's character that brent corrigan is the biggest star in gay porn in 2005 yes yeah Yeah, he like really sort of breaks out in a big way so much so that you see christian slater's character like becoming like buying a nicer car like i mentioned we were sitting there i'm like oh he just got a new benz yeah and then he gets a new or a new bmw and then he gets like a nicer car after that too and he lives like very comfortably in like a very nice house that seems perpetually stocked with like food and everything yeah but yeah he and he like fronts as a legit like family photographer Mm -hmm. But yeah, all the while making porn in his uh, his house. And then completely disconnected from this on a parallel track for the vast majority of this movie is another porn production company called the Viper Boys. 
Well, it's unclear to me, like, how quickly into the movie the Viper Boys are, in fact, a porn company. Because it seems like in the first couple months, quote-unquote, of this movie... Oh, right, right, right. They're just sort of like a weird escort service kind of thing. Like, they're not necessarily making porn. But then, like, Franco gets very upset that his boyfriend's... Uh, who's like basically the talent at this escort yeah, service is getting all this attention. So they sort of pivot their brand from this live escort service to gay porn. Right. Take off some of those clothes. Show the Cobra fans what they really want to see. They are going to love you. This is just the beginning for you. I can pay you so much more if you're willing to go all the way. Introducing Brent Korg. It's fun to play with who we are, don't you think? Okay. On one hand, you have sort of this, you know, porn ethos where it's like, oh, is this boy of age? You know, like he's just sort of, and like that seems to be the setup to like the group uh, videos too is like, you know, one person will say to the other, like, Oh, I've never done this before. Like that is the ethos. Whereas on the other side, the Viper boys with Kean and with, um, Franco with Franco is like much more hardcore. Like it's a little bit grosser. Like they're sort of porn. Aesthetic. Yeah. They have this like weird relationship off screen that transfers to their porn aesthetic. where like the two, we were laughing. No little bitches. <laughs> There is a scene where they are working out. And also, there are no drugs in this movie. No. But it really seems like Franco and uh, Keegan are, like, really coked up and constantly, like, working out. And they just have, like, these crazy coke workouts where they scream things like, no little bitches. And he, he like, must work, scream as in that work 12 times in a row, if not yeah, more. Yeah, like, this, the, uh, the rhythm of the dialogue in this movie, as far as humor and camp goes, is... Franco and Keegan screaming like one expletive 12 fuck, times. Fuck, 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 <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So then when they, when they, when they do porn, it's, it's much like broier. Right. Their porn is like definitely more about like muscles and like muscle cars, death. And, yeah. Cars. They're like very into. Yeah. Oh, they love like their hooded vests. Outer, outerwear is a huge thing in this movie. If and it knows it too. If you can't figure out something to say about an attractive man in this movie, compliment his outerwear. Well, that's like the interesting thing. And I wonder if, I don't know that it's a shortcoming of the film. I just think it's, it's more about like the culture of the like gay porn industry that most of what they are talking about is how they look physically. Because that becomes like a big thing for both Franco and Slater is the idea of them feeling too old to even like participate in the system. Right, right. And like that's part of it. And the other interesting thing about this is you can tell that, I mean, it's only explicitly stated maybe once, but you can sort of, the movie sort of insinuates that all of these people are coming from a place of sexual abuse. Oh, yeah. And which is an interesting thing to sort of wrap your head around when you're, you know, watching pornography of any kinds um, or a movie about it. But that's, it's, it's a weirdly ambitious movie in that, I think. So, but I, I, what you're left with though is because of that super realism or whatever we're going to call it, hyper-realism, you end up with a lot of very guarded characters that you don't know a whole lot about. Is that safe? Is that fair to say? Didn't you say this movie is Fincher meets Refn? Yeah, that's. I mean, I feel like it has but on a low budget. 
when you think about a Fincher movie, there's like something subversive because it like because of the audience, it's trying to bring like a normal audience into a dark world and kind of like titillate and yeah. maybe disgust them a little bit. And this one is sort of just like, here's an 88 minute movie with 40 minutes of softcore porn. Right. And then 40 more of like attempting some character and some comedy. And then attempting ultimately what turns out to be like a crime thriller by the yes, end. Yes, without, as you said, the crucial sort of like detective presence. Right. And there is like some run in like with the cops and with the authorities of some kind, but you never really know who they are, mm-hmm. which I think is a shortcoming in this movie, but also maybe just because of the limitations of the budget. But this movie realized that it cast like a bunch of like beautiful and recognizable people and like was paying them, I guess enough to like simulate a lot of sex. Yeah. And that's sort of the movie's strength. So if like you're titillated by, you know, what the work, the inner workings of gay porn in the, like around 2008 looked like. Yeah. And that's, and that's, we talked about this too, the idea that this movie set like very specifically in 2008, but doesn't do anything with that. Yeah. Like other than having one scene of like being like Katrina, like that sucks. And like George W. Bush is an asshole, like flying by on a a news broadcast. Right. Like other than that, there's no real reference to it. I think, why don't we talk about this? Because something that all three of these movies have in common we watched all of them together on the same couch. I think we laughed a lot throughout all three, but they all have this like very, uh, a similar kind of uh, way of writing humorous dialogue, which is to make you laugh at the explicitness of these things that you find awkward and sort of to take that into like a, uh, like a realm of delivery that is, um, a garish and silly. And this that, that's one of the best things this movie has going for it, I think. That it's just sort of like so pulpy and neon and over the top trying to push past its 80-minute limitations. Like the, the, the final scene between Keegan and Franco, it feels like something that belongs at the end of Boogie Nights. Like it's so delusional, right. that final scene where it's just like, I feel like we've earned this because you've just watched a three-hour movie and, like, these men are so madly in love despite their, like, emotional and psychological, like, insanity. Right. But, of course, that isn't what you felt because, like, there's only, it's only been ten minutes of that, really. Right, and they really haven't been part of the main narrative for that much of the movie. Which I think is incredibly bold and entertaining and silly and delusional. Uh, I th- no, no, no. I, I think we're probably going to land on the same uh, rating on this one. Because, like, and then at the end, too, like, I think the ending of this movie is good because you, on one hand, have that, like, art house delusional slow motion last shot thing for the one narrative. Yeah. And then the other one gives you that very satisfying, like, Hollywood level of, like, oh, now the kid's going to make it on his own kind of thing. Yeah. Which I think is really powerful and really smart. And then I think the movie, like, the last line of the movie is almost like a wink at uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. It's the same line. They say a whole bunch of It's the same line, which is, if anyone has seen both or either, let us fuck. (laughs) Which is, like, a pretty... I mean, that is sort of the tongue-in-cheek, like, that's what people say, like, right before they start engaging in intercourse, like, in a pornographic film. Mm -hmm. But, like, no one ever says that, like, in real life. And so that was, like, the funny connection between the two. So I think this movie, like, sticks the landing... 
however like weird its rotation was off the pommel horse. Right. Um, so I'm going to say it's bad good. I'm going to agree. Yeah, I think the movie ultimately like does pretty right by Garrett Clayton's character. Well, that's the thing. If the movie is about him, which I assume he's the protagonist of this film. The screen time may not indicate that. Right. Quite as but much. if he is the protagonist of the film, it is a completed arc. He wanted one thing and he sort of gets there. It seems like a more interesting... You know what? You talked about 2005 and how maybe it doesn't quite... Uh, do much with its timeliness but it's one of the interesting things with these movies is to see sort of like where the porn industry is at yeah you think about boogie nights and how dirk diggler sort of crushed under the tide of not being with jack when the world turns from film to video right by 2005 the brand of brent corrigan is all this kid has right and so for um for him to go out there and sort of like try to claim and eventually Yeah, re- they won't even rec- work with him if he can't use the name Brent Core again yeah, after so he leaves. Trying to reclaim that is sort of like an interesting I don't know. It seems like I wonder if this is like a more successful version of like uh millennial self-actualization upstart than a movie like We Are Your Friends. Oh yeah. Well, I sort of yeah, I th- and I've seen We Are Your Friends. Oh, you have? Yeah. I haven't. I'm just going off the trail. It's not as... I don't think it's as horrible as like people think it is, but it, and it's definitely like in the same milieu as this movie. Like 2016 Cocktail? Yeah. With like Instagram? It's 2016 Cocktail with, uh, with DJs. Yeah. And, and this, this one is, like is 2016 the version, the Cocktail with Gay Porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, well, so bad good from us. Bad good. Uh, let's move to Boogie Nights, shall we? I would love nothing more. Everyone's given one special thing, right? Everyone's blessed with one special thing. I want you to know I plan on being a star. A big, bright, shining star. Eddie Adams from Torrance. Yep. Jack Horner, filmmaker. I make it. Exotic pictures. In 1977, a kid from nowhere made me think about your name. My name, yeah. Something a little pizzazz. Dirk Diggler. Good name. I like your name a lot. Had a dream of getting somewhere. So Boogie Nights, 1997. Paul Thomas Anderson's second film after Heart Eight. Uh, it's a hot two hours and 36 minutes. It is a, I think, a rise and fall epic on the level of Goodfellas. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with that kind of ambition, but... Uh, Definitely, I think maybe the vignettes are a little more pronounced, and the the uh, equilateral sort of nature of the cast. Like we spend the the movie is like very much like make sure that these nine people have their four scenes and we check in on them as uh, Dirk Diggler, uh, played by Mark Wahlberg, this rising porn star in 1977 in the San Fernando Valley, sort of uh, becomes part of this ersatz porn family right and it's yeah that's interesting and i I wonder too like i've seen this movie before and going into it i like remembered how long it was i remembered enjoying it but i remembered how long it was and i'm unconvinced i mean we can get into this a little bit if you want um but yeah so when dirk diggler like sort of goes from you see his life as just like a dishwasher at this nightclub and you're sort of introduced with like a big nod to goodfellas with that tracking shot that takes you into the nightclub following um 
Burt Reynolds and Julianne Moore like go into their usual table or whatever, and Louis right. Guzman's there and whatnot. I wonder if this movie, like much like The Judge from a couple weeks ago, is maybe better as like a miniseries kind of thing, or maybe deals with less. See, this is one where I know you. That's something you really like to say about movies like this. Yeah. But I want to push back on it because I don't think that movies that are made in a vignette style that are over two hours that want to showcase a big cast need to be miniseries because I think that like I don't know. It, I think it's too prescriptive of the medium that everything should be like two hours and totally like plot driven. I think what's so fun about this movie is how totally like incidental some of these like funny bits feel. That's the thing for me too. Like ever having seen it again, I was trying to like figure out where the weight of this movie actually falls, you know? And that's a question that I have like with a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Like, I think it's easy with a movie like Magnolia or something, you know, it's with the weight of death and the relationship with one's father and yada, yada. And that sort of like comes out in this, have you seen Magnolia? I have never seen Magnolia. Oh, you should see it. It's, I mean, it's good, but like in, in sort of an insane Paul Thomas Anderson way. But then when I like watched, and the same thing with There Will Be Blood, you know, it's these two men like battling each other, like through the whole thing, you know, one on the side of God, one on the side of, uh, you know, corporatization and capitalism. And then they eventually lead up to each other and explode. But this one, it's, yes, it's a rise and fall story using the history of pornography like as its backbone. Mm-hmm. But ultimately like I wonder like what this movie is about. I would it's say it's about... I would say it's about a like dysfunctional family. Okay. Coming together. So you think it's like closer and, to the Royal Tenenbaums than And Anderson has said maybe... that himself too. That's not my original thought. Okay. Um Uh I mean I don't think it's particularly close to the Royal Tenenbaums, but I think if you're looking for some core note in this movie that I think in its structure resists core notes. Right. Uh, I think that would be it. Okay. Like I think at the end we, we spend time before things really take off, like before Eddie Torrance, we should say his given name is not Dirk Diggler, before right. Eddie Torrance gets in the car with Jack and Amber, we spend some time with these people like learning who the extended members of the family are. And then right. at the end, we do have to kind of see what they're all doing. Right. Even as much as well, William H. Macy on the wall. Oh, my God. Well, I f- but I feel like this movie sort of decides... So it, the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie, Burt Reynolds is the protagonist. And then he sort of is still the antagonist, and Dirk Diggler is sort of the antagonist leading up to sort of like the big blow up they have before he like goes out on his own. But then it almost abandons Burt Reynolds like during the video phase and follows Dirk Diggler's like crazy exploits as like a guy just trying to get by like with his music and his stuff and like all those drug deals gone awry. And let us just say this movie has so much drug use in it. You know what? I think if, if there, cause you, you asked me, I, 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 I love this movie. Um, and we were sort of like, you asked me, of course, like, how, how did it hit you this time? Like, was there anything that didn't qu- strike you quite the same way? Yeah. And the thing that really struck me was you sort of knew that the end of the 70s, the beginning of the 80s was like, was the peak of the mountain. You've been going up and mm-hmm. now you're, you're 
going down as quickly as possible. I was sort of struck by how like arbitrary a force cocaine is. And I know it was like a big force in the in the music business and the film business and it ruined the NBA for six years. Like right. it was a huge fucking problem in the United States. Right. Um but like but the these same- people's lives are just ruined by cocaine. And I was just like, could the movie have done a little bit more to show us? Well, that's like the weird thing that I didn't necessarily understand about the movie because it it seemed like it wasted the opportunity to show like the evolving business model. And that's sort of what I'm saying is they like pull the camera away from Burt Reynolds as he's like making this transition from like a filmmaker to sort of a distributor of VHS shitty like porn in bulk kind of thing. And we're on Dirk Diggler at that time. And then we come back, we come back and we're just like suddenly in this warehouse where they, they have it down to like a finely, you know, oiled machine of getting this porn to people. So you don't really see anyone struggle with any of the problems of the time. There's just like this half hour chunk where everyone's losing their shit because they're on so much fucking cocaine. Yeah. That's interesting. I think it's, I think it's a double edged sword. One of the things that I love about Wahlberg in this movie, and I love Tom Jane in it too. Love Tom Jane. Is that the two of them, Wahlberg, whether he, I think he half knows it, and I think he half doesn't. Right. Is he's letting, which you could say, one of my favorite shots in the movie is when they're in Riyadh Jackson's house, uh, Alfred Molina, that crazy firecracker shotgun scene. Yeah. And there's like a full, maybe 25 second shot. It's a long shot. Where Wahlberg has like, he realizes everything, and yet he realizes nothing. Yeah. Well, he's letting himself be, he has been, Wahlberg is being used by this movie, Dirk Diggler is being used by Jack Horner. Eddie Adams, the the boy inside him, the name he has abandoned, has been used and spit out by this entire world. Um, right. So I think that, which is quite an achievement in like dramatic irony and like a, a loss of innocence kind of thing, but you're right. Because he's being used you're sort of like always above him and you're not really with him and you might right. like to be with someone else. You might like to be with Burt Reynolds. What well, almost feels like you're at a party with these people and you're kind of almost. like... Almost? I mean, that's like yeah, the I mean, that's, five biggest scenes in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that is most of the movie. It feels like a party. You like sort of jump around from person to person. You follow up with people. I mean, it almost sort of feels like it could be, you know, one of those... Um, sort of like live theater performances where you sort of freely walk around the space. Totally. Like I almost wonder like if what this would look like reimagined kind of as that. Um, but I don't know. The movements of this movie are strange and I don't feel like they ever sort of wrap up. Yes. It's like you have the bookends of like, I'm going to be a star. And then like he, there's the line at the end where he, and there's like the famous shot where he like pulls out his massive dick and it's like, right. I'm a, bright big shining star yeah and so like you have that symmetry but like through it like the coke didn't line up to the coming of age and like the coming of age didn't line up with like the transition from film to video like i don't know it didn't cohere with me yeah i don't know man i think it's like a pretty it's like 97 looking at 77 like i think it's kind of like it's a really funny movie you know through a great soundtrack but I think it's like a pretty like ironic it does not sort of like admire and empathize with Dirk Diggler the way Goodfellas right. does with Henry Hill. 
Certainly not. And it really doesn't. And maybe that's what I am sort of trying to say is that this movie keeps me at a distance at least. But I think that's why I kind of like it because I don't I like I see this sort of like weird family. But I don't have to deal with like some legend of macho bullshit. Right. But I never had that moment where the movie convinced me because I feel like that's the trick of either of these rise and fall movies or maybe just porn movies is the idea that maybe I get this lifestyle. Like, I see why this is comfortable and why people do this. Like, I feel like, you know, uh, King Cobra almost had me there where this kid, like, didn't want to go to college, basically, like, barely finished high school, and suddenly a guy's giving him, you know, thousands of dollars just to, like, jerk off in front of a camera. And, like, you get that. And he suddenly has all these nice clothes. Like you, But, like, with... You know, with the Dirk Diggler one and with the Boogie Nights scenario, you always kind of despise, like, all these people are always, like, very creepy, and their value systems are not your own, and they're all sort of pathetic, like, William H. Macy's is being cuckolded by his wife, and, like, Dirk has this, like, horribly garish style, like, you never really support why he's doing this, and it's just to be famous. I guess that's all of the movies, though. All of these movies are just dealing with characters who at least set out to be famous. Aren't you supposed to feel for these people because it was like cool and you were having fun. And then when they stop having fun, you're like, Oh, like I really wish you still had what drew you together. That's how I feel when it comes to like, I don't, for instance, like I don't think I agree with the deep down motivations of the Jack Horner character, but I so like love the relationship, like the, the characters, the cinematic relationship, the everything, like, you just want that party to get back to, like, if there was anything, like, wholesome or warm about the roots of that party, like, you want it to keep going. Yeah, no, and I think that that is sort of, like, the fun of the movie. Yeah. It's like the, maybe we can just get back to the fun parties now. Right. I feel like on a sentence level, this movie's, like, very smart. Like, it has a very interesting way of telling you a lot of sort of episodes that happen to these people. Yeah. And the episodes are entertaining. For sure. But like my bigger question is zooming out, like is this movie fully realized? And I don't think it is. Well, I strongly disagree. I mean, I'm going to go back to my original point that I think it, it tried to do too much with too many characters and not enough time. And I think in an, I'm watching this with the tw- with 2016 glasses on of like there's a lot of smart TV out there that could have done this way better. I just think that the medium was stretched to its limits. And ultimately what you have, in my opinion, you know, through some great performances and some great scenes and some like great set pieces, what you ultimately have here is another bad, good movie of entertaining as hell to watch, you know, on a Sunday afternoon like we did but ultimately like not a truly rounded, satisfying cinema experience as an art form. And I think it's a really great movie with a, uh, which is sort of like a smarter, uh, more sober, less like mythic look at a rise and fall story in a Scorsese and sort of rise and fall story, but relying more on vignettes and relying more on, editing uh rather than sort of like fleshed out um short stories to create like a collage of yeah it's like a novel in stories of a movie yeah it's it's like a collage of 
coked up meta industry examinations. And I think it's good, good. Well, that's why we do this show, so we can agree to disagree. All right. Zach and Mary. Zach and Mary, brother. 2008, a Kevin Smith film. Zach and Mary make a porno. I don't think we're going to keep a roof over our heads. These are the exact circumstances people find themselves in right before they start having sex for money. What? You got an idea? We could make a porno. Not the idea I was looking for. It's all mainstream now. I don't really see myself being in one, you know? Look at Paris Hilton. She's selling fragrances to tweens, and I'm pretty sure she's legally retarded. The ones I liked when I was a kid, it was always a spoof of a popular movie. I I got got it! it. Star Wars. What? So this one, it opens in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, during a pretty difficult winter. Lots of snow on the grounds, and we're introduced to Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks, who are high school friends who are still living in Pittsburgh, where they went to high school, sort of barely scraping by. Unclear what Elizabeth Banks does for a living, but yeah, I don't think we know. Seth Rogen is a barista uh, at this like Starbucks knockoff. Bean and gone. Bean and gone. They, it's sort of like, it's set up almost like Gross Point Blank was with the sort of the device of sort of self-evaluation around a high school reunion. So they're about to go to their 10-year high school reunion and Seth Rogen doesn't want to go, but Elizabeth Banks like really wants to go because she wants to sleep with the guy that like teased her in high school. (laughs) So it turns out they, they end up there at the reunion and Elizabeth Banks finds the guy, hits on him, and it turns out that not only is he gay, but he's living in L.A. with like a gay porn star and like Seth Rogen thinks this is hilarious and they're going through a lot of like financial trouble, like in their sort of roommate hood, you know, their things are getting turned off, electricity, water, power, uh, heats, and they're worried about losing their apartment. And so I think the meeting of, uh, Brandon St. Randy, the porn star (laughs) sort of puts the played by Justin Long. And I think maybe the best like cameo of this movie. Oh, absolutely. No question. And probably the best, Five minutes of Justin Long's career. Yeah, he makes a really bold choice and just goes for it. And it really does land, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of him being, I guess, in gay porn and because of a weird sort of proto-viral video that goes around of Elizabeth right. Banks changing into her granny panties. Like a chocolate rain era. Right. Um, <laughs> like razor video yeah. captured. So they decide that the only way they can raise the funds is to make a porn movie and then at least the people that they went to high school would pay 20 bucks to see like two former high school people have sex online that 20 times their whole graduating class would get them out of debt. Which seems so tenuous. But then they like enlist this whole crew and cast and decide to make like a Star Wars parody porn. Yeah. And you sort of are left with like, well, why are you now just making a general trade porn film? So this movie, just like King Cobra and just like Boogie Nights, uh, again, relies on this sort of like this vernacular and this like weird syncopated rhythm of like, isn't it awkward and funny when people like say really explicit things right 
And I think at first, in that very like ramped up, like Kevin Smith, next generation, or maybe like two generations, like weird Woody Allen indie. Yeah. That that speed of dialogue that he has, that like this is a writer's medium for people's like loser pop culture reference filled voices. It's right. very appealing in the first twenty minutes. Oh yeah, it feels like and I remember when I saw it originally, like it feels like a breath of fresh air. But it's also very much Kevin Smith doing his best Judd Apatow impression. Yes, you said that earlier today, but I think he's really he's just updating his own shtick from Clerks and Mallrats for 2008. See, I don't I mean, I get that because like I know Kevin Smith and I'm like such a fan of his early work. But like if you really look at the way in which it sort of approaches like just the realism of what they're going through, I feel like it's not, it doesn't feel like Kevin Smith. It feels like, you know, the Save Mart at, you know, in 40-Year-Old Virgin and less like the convenience store at in Clerks or even in Clerks 2. How, how is that? Explain. Because I just feel like Apatow is never very interested in like how the business is run at Save Mart. Okay. But then like, Clerks and mall rats and all that hang in like the gritty esoterica and the politics of, you know, working at a convenience store and then like being a person who hangs out and or works at the mall. Like it's very interested in these institutions. And I feel yeah. like Kevin Smith could have been a lot more interested in this gone. coffee shop culture. Yeah. And Kevin Smith has always been more of a class warrior than I think this movie gives him credit for. Whereas mm. Apatow is just more interested in how like men get along in like weird forced social situations. Right. Which could include work. But he's not interested in the work. Interesting. Well explained. Um, once that sort of rhythm of dialogue, once you really get a beat on it, it loses its luster. Well, it's no longer shocking. But then I think when it gets to the porn, like a lot of the stuff that it focuses on are just like joke references about porn that you would like make with like, that I remember like making with like my high school buddies. Right. Well, I think what's interesting about this movie is that it's a movie about making porn that never really addresses either like the kinks of the characters or the kinks of the audience. Great point. Like with King Cobra, what is sort of appealing weirdly about it is... It forces you to, like, even if you are a straight, like, man, like Chance and I both are, it forces you to essentially watch gay porn for the better part of 90 minutes. It makes very clear and tries to replicate what the fantasy of porn is, because I mean, that's what porn is. This movie, you're very right, does not do that. It's just like, well, porn is just like... like it's almost a, like a movie that doesn't, like, hasn't actually seen porn, has only been, like, told about porn. And like it doesn't, like it's it's operating by a certain sort of code and the lexicon they're using, like in the in like the fake movie of the movie. Yeah, that's so like it's so beyond parody, as to be like, what porns are you quoting? Right? Yeah, it has no interest in like criticizing like the art form of porn, where I feel like the other two are like have a commentary on how porn is both a made and what it does to the people involved, but also as a commentary about like, can this be art? Like it raises that question. And this movie never is, you know, it's never like, Oh, Seth Rogen always wanted to be a filmmaker or like Elizabeth Banks, like, 
you know, she's a prude who like comes out of herself or something like there's their sexuality or their like artistic expression is unaltered by this movie. It just feels too easy. You know what I mean? Like the turn toward the Star Wars, like, well, we all know Kevin Smith fucking loves Star Wars. Right. And the turn away from the Star Wars was, well, I can't make 45 minutes of Star Wars spoof. Right. And the ultimate turn toward rom-com is like, well, how are we going to steer this ship into the harbor? Right. And it's like, well, actually, hold on, by using a genre that like doesn't rely totally on spoof. Um, well, because that's the yeah the weird thing about it is be, it then becomes like a pretty self serious romantic movie, right? Where you know like there are some jokes, but like I don't find that the the jokes in the last like twenty minutes half hour of the movie like Katie Morgan taking a shit on what's his name's face, and like some of the other stuff like really lands that well because we've almost shifted complete gears to our Elizabeth Banks and Seth Rogen going to be together, which is like not a story that I'm terribly interested in. It feels really safe. Like it's ultimately like two people go up to the edge of some sort of like very progressive, very open, you know, experience together. And then they immediately run away and have a very heteronormative life together. Exactly. Which is like such a very strange, like I get it. Like our modern conception of pornography is like, don't do that. Like that's bad. But if you're going to make a movie about making porn, like say a little bit, like they must've learned something. He doesn't answer for me the question. If his question is ultimately, what does it take to like, just do porn for money? Mm-hmm. Like if that is his question starting out, I don't think he like gave us a real answer and he just distracted us with this high school reunion trope yeah. up front. And then just like a lot of recycled jokes from better Apatow movies. So even this movie, even though this movie is like gr- quite gross at times. Oh, definitely. And uh, quite vulgar throughout. I wonder if it's just too safe. And I wonder if that hint is in the very title. No one calls it porno anymore. Like it's very, right. it's very divorced from, even though it is relying on the trope of the internet to be like these random people in this Pittsburgh suburb could pay their rent if this actually goes well, it is like relying on like, isn't porn this silly thing that you find in this magazine that like, oh, I could never, I could never, you right. know? Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page. But what do we rate it? I didn't. We've. I didn't hate this movie. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I was didn't, a little disappointed. I mean, it's certainly not a first good. Because no, I think it, it couldn't be. It wastes too it many opportunities be. for it to be like a truly good movie. Right. But at the same time, it's a movie that like I would recommend. Like, if you wanted like a dumb. Because it's currently on what? Netflix. It's currently on Netflix. So if you wanted something like dumb that's like you just watched the 40-year-old version and there's no more Apatow available at Netflix, <laughs> like it's a perfectly serviceable substitute of people talking very crassly about sex in a way that people don't actually talk about sex. Right. Um, and it, there's like a lot of uh, – there's like enough slurs in this to be a little bit dated. Yeah. Um, so like, keep that in mind. That's the trigger warning for it. And then I don't know. I mean, yes, I, it was fun watching it with you chance, but I think ultimately it's a bad, bad for me. Bad, bad. 
Like a soft bad bad? Yeah, like a soft bad. It's not like offensive. It's not the worst movie ever made, but I think like by our rating system, it it has to be a bad bad. All right. I'll come with you. Bad bad soft, soft bad soft bad bad. Soft bad bad. Man. Well, thanks for uh Thanks for diving in this category with me. Absolutely. Thank you for spending a Sunday watching gay porn with me. I feel I feel like we went on a long journey from uh from film to videotape to uh to video camera to trying to hit viral. We saw I think we saw I we probably saw the full breadth of the porn industry post print. We we've witnessed we are experts now about fictional porn. Yeah, if you have questions about porn. Email us at berealguys at gmail.com. Please don't. Please don't email us about porn. I'm, I, I'm very uneasy about that proposition. All right. Uh, we are at uh, berealguys, two E's, like a film reel, uh, at berealguys on Twitter or on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, berealguys.com. Thank you so much to Michael Todd, who I know specifically wanted to be mentioned with this category after this conversation. No, he didn't. No. I'm joking. Because who, <laughs> who would be? Yeah. Biggest proponent of porn that I know. <laughs> um, my friend. Sir. I am exhausted. We've been doing this for three weeks in this little apartment. <laughs> now, hopefully I'm back in New York and still alive when this comes out. Yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for having me in your life. Uh, this oh, has been a great long weekend. Part of my life. Uh, I wish I could think of any line from any of these movies to quote, but I can't. Well, as they say, let, let us, us fuck. fuck. <laughs>